Uh, pleasant uh, good morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. Today we continue our message on the Ten Commandments uh, entitled Rules of Engagement because uh, we learn that as the new people of God, then they need to learn how to relate to God and one another as a kingdom of priests. So today is part two of that. And so last week we looked at the first four. Now we uh, will study the next, next six commandments. And allow me to again reiterate the importance of relationships in human life because all of us okay, are designed to have relationships, to be in relationships. And some relationships can be destructive, some relationships can be life-giving. Uh, Carnegie Technological Institute stated that 90% of all the people who fail in their life's vocation fail primarily because they cannot get along with people. Imagine 90% of all failures, human failures, was because of relationships. So relationships can either make you or break you, right? Some relationships can build you up, make you a better version of yourself, but some really can destroy the spirit and really uh, cause uh, psychological damage. Uh, it said that uh, it takes a village to raise a child. It means that for one single infant to grow up into a mature, productive human being, there are a series of people, a network of relationships from their parents, the siblings, to their relatives, to their school experiences, their teachers, and so on and so forth. A network of relationships from birth to adulthood okay, that will nurture them. That's why we say in psychology, half of you is your nature, how you are designed, and the other half is your nurture how you were raised. And so it's true that relationships is really part of God's design. But God's idea of relationship is not the way relationships happen today. And we understand that because when we read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, uh, there's this description of the ideal kind of relationship we must express to each other. And that is the uh, love chapter. And it says, love is patient, love is kind, love is not easily angered, not, love does not keep record of wrong, so on and so forth. Uh, but in a nutshell, it's reflecting the love of God that's unconditional, pure, and true to one another. And that's the idea here. So that the relationships we have can create the best version of you and me as we live to glorify Him. So allow me to just get, give a review of what happened last week. Right? So last week, we are reminded that Moses received the task from God. Okay, it is a difficult task of God recreating a large company of slaves enmeshed in the Egyptian pagan belief okay? and enslaved for 430 years to be brought out to the promised land of Canaan so that they can become God's people, God's treasured possession, a kingdom of priests to bring the blessing of God to the nations. So in Ruth Canaan, they passed by Mount Sinai to meet God again. And God made a display of his power as he descended on that mountain that day with thunder, lightning, earthquake, and speaking with a voice that sounded like thunder. What a fiery side. And so Moses is on this mission, a God-sized mission of helping these people, recreating these people to qualify as a kingdom of priests, a people devoted to God who will be the channel of God's blessing to the world so that we can be restored 
from a world marred by sin and death back to himself. And we know that this was a failed mission because Christ needed to come. So similarly in our church today, we also embarked on a mission seven years ago. And seven years ago, we wanted to become a disciple-making church that we can return as a church to our disciple-making roots according to Christ's command. And according to experts, there are at least five indicators to be a disciple-making church. The first is we have a written plan of how disciples are made. So that's the first of the five, and we are 80% there, praise the Lord, after seven years. Effective conversion growth rate. Uh, what does, does that mean? Meaning that our multiplication is faster than the population growth of the Philippines, which is 5% per year. So if we're uh, seeing conversions from between 5 to 10% of our total Sunday uh, population, that is a good thing, right? So we are not there yet because it needs all of us reaching the lost. Third, uh, three-fourths of our at- attendees are in a disciple-making small group. Okay, so we have surpassed, I think, half of our church in a small group. But I wonder, are you the half who is part of a small group or half who is not part of a small group? I hope that really we can go to the 75% mark so that the third check will be there. Right? And then uh, the fourth uh, marker is that a third graduate to the next level of maturity every year. And finally, revitalizes and plants other disciple-making churches. That's why we wanted to hopefully initiate house churches or satellites as a result of these five targets so that our church can be considered a fully-fledged disciple-making church. But for this to happen to UECP, we need all hands in deck. You and I had to get our hands dirty, get into disciple-making, and make it happen so that we can become the kingdom of priests, taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, making disciples who makes disciples of Christ. So for this to happen in the people of Israel in Exodus, for them to be a blessing to the nations, they are asked to begin, according to the Ten Commandments, by getting right first with God. They were to learn how to love God, which is embodied by the first four of the Ten Commandments. And so it reminds us that we must take God seriously because God is the one true God and He is unlike the idols of the nations who are made of wood and stone who neither sees or hears or tastes or smell. So remember, there are four things that we learn from the first four commandments. That first is, we shall not have other gods. God demands absolute loyalty. And the response is, we have to remove all the idols in our lives. Second is, God requires acceptable worship. We are not to make graven images of anything that is created or even to represent God. Because we have to exalt Him according to his terms. Uh, the, the third is awful reverence to uh, not use the Lord's name in vain, but to ascribe greatness to his name, to make it the name above all names that people will really, every knee will bow, every tongue confess the name Jesus. What a beautiful name. And the fourth is 
to keep the Sabbath holy or to anticipate the rest that God will bring about. Every week, practicing that eternal rest that will happen when Christ returns to lead a life of holy expectation. So this new devotion and loyalty to God must not stay there. It must translate to our everyday relationships. That's the idea. So that we become worthy uh, vessels of that gospel, effective agents of disciple-making as we do not only experience the love of God, but learn to share the overflow of that love. And the Bible demands consistency from us who call ourselves Jesus followers. Okay, because love has to overflow. It says in 1 John verse 4, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So loving others and loving God coincide and work together hand in hand. They cannot be torn apart. Right? Because how can we say we love God when we do not love our brothers? And how can we love our brothers when we have not experienced the love of God? So these two are, uh, are two sides of the coin. And we are also called to be a witness. Now, in John 13, verse 35, Jesus told his disciples, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So not only are these relationships uh, to be lived out in love, but it has to also become a way for us to influence people to know who God is through our lives. Okay, so this is what it means that we ought to be, as the people of God, a kingdom of priests. So we wonder what kind of community life does a kingdom of priests look like so that we can be a blessing unto nations. Now, of course, we were again told that it starts by having a right relationship with God. That's why there's absolute loyalty, acceptable worship, awful reverence, and anticipating that rest. But it later translates to relationships in the next six commandments. Okay? So commandment 5, 6, and 7, we learn that it begins in the home. And how is that so? Okay. You have often heard this, charity begins at home. Whatever you are like at home will be whatever you will be like in outside the home. If you learn how to share and care for each other in the home, it's easy for you to care and share outside the home. If you are selfish at home and you just think about yourself, most likely outside, you will be quite the same because the home is where your character is nurtured so what you are like at home will be what you are like outside the home so the idea here is after getting right with god they needed a family that reflects the character and love of god to the nations how important is this okay look for example at hitler okay the leader of the holocaust it said that Paula Hitler's journey, Paula is Adolf's sister, was unearthed in an undisclosed location in Germany. And it revealed that her brother was a bully in his teens 
and would often beat her up. Right? Imagine that. And so recounting the earliest memories of her childhood, when she was 8 years old and Adolf Hitler was 15, she wrote in her journal as an 8-year-old child. Imagine for a while. Once again, I, feel my bro- I felt my brother's loose hand across my face. Imagine she was being beaten up by her brother. Now, one excerpt describes the violence exercised by none other than Hitler's father. His father, Alois. Okay? And how Adolf's mother tried to protect her son from the regular beating. It says that she goes up to the attic, covers Adolf, who is lying on the floor, but cannot deflect the father's blows. So without sound, the mother absorbs the beating for Adolf. And this is a picture of a completely dysfunctional family. Imagine all the anger, the hate that is built in that home that was passed to nations and the destruction happens. There was, during the time through the leadership of Hitler, genocide, murder of hostages, reprisal, raids, forced labor, euthanasia, starvation, exposure, medical experiments, terror bombing, concentration camps, and deaths. And they murdered around 15 million to 31 million people. One million were children under 18 years old. And none of these monstrous figures even included civilian and military combat or war deaths. These were regular citizens and they killed them. Genocide. The importance of a godly home cannot be overstated if we look upon the lives of all those people who are filled with hate, it often also begins at home. So as much as charity begins at home, destructive behaviors also begin at home. Because family relationships are formative. So your family is capable of creating the worst damage in you. But that's uh, why we need to really pray that we can build a healthy, godly environment for our generations to come. Imagine what kind of family life these oppressed slaves have. Always being beaten up, always being forced to work. Very tired, very difficult, very poor. Imagine what kind of family relationships existed in the nation, in that the slaves who were Israelites that were called out. The freedom that they were received, they don't even know how to cherish and live out. So the first three commands begins at home. The first is respect for parental authority. That's commandment number five. And so the passage says, Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Now we have to understand here God's design. First is that God gave parents authority over their children, not just any authority, but spiritual authority. Okay, so we are to be spiritual leaders of our household, influencing our kids to love God. And their response is to honor 
through their obedience, through their love, through their responsiveness. That spiritual leadership relegated by God. Okay, so from ages zero to six, your child has to understand that their obedience is their protection because God has given you spiritual authority over them so that your decisions for them protects them from the evils of the world. Once they understand that obedience is not as difficult. Not easy, but not as difficult. But we have to understand also that it is coupled later in Deuteronomy chapter 6 with parental role of raising godly children. So in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And these commands that I give to you today are to be in your hearts. So the parents were to live out love for God of their whole being and then impress them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols around your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door friends of your house and on your gates. So, honoring your father and mother is because they are spiritual leaders of the home and they are influencing you. So, what's difficult is what about when our parents are not the spiritual leaders of the home or they ask us to do ill? Well, we can still honor them. Okay, we can still respect them and speak respectfully to them. It does not allow us to be rude and disrespectful to them. So we need to exercise that kind of love and restraint if they are not in the Lord so that we can win them to the Lord. And the blessing here is that they will always be experiencing the plans of God because the plan of God is to put them in that land. Right? That's the promise of God. So they can stay in the land as long as they honor their parents because they will live a godly life because of the spiritual influence of their parents and they will thrive as a nation. And it lasts for many generations. So honoring our parents because they're exercising biblical spiritual authority, that is key. So the question is, how is a godly family relationship happening for you in your home? And if it is not happening, then you need to really ask the Lord, prayerfully seeking that you will be able to be the catalyst to have a God-fearing home. Because only a God-fearing home can produce God-fearing next generation. Okay? Honor your parents in the Lord. And there's another command that is off seemingly, and it reflects a respect for human life. And what is that verse? In verse 13, you shall not murder. Now, at first, I was wondering why it is a place in between honor the parents and do not commit adultery. Both are uh, about family, but it made sense to me when I look at examples in Scripture of murder. Going back to Genesis, it was when Cain was jealous over 
Abel's, uh, God seeing Abel's sacrifice, that he took his brother and murdered him in the field. And that was the first murder. And we see that sibling rivalry has been a constant problem in the nation of Israel in the Old Testament. And so it is in the home where hatred sometimes is built. And that's why maybe that's the point. As you relate in the family, okay, do not build up hatred towards one another. Because hatred is a bondage that can blind you. And in your blindness and hatred, you would like to kill someone. So what should we display instead? Right? We should learn to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. And that starts in the home. When we offend, we say sorry when, uh, and vice versa. And we... Uh, you know, love covers a multitude of wrongs. That's the idea here. Learning forgiveness in the home. Do not murder. Forgive as you have been forgiven beginning in your home. Is forgiveness something experienced in your home? Or do you tend to hold grudges towards your parents, your brother, or anybody in the home? I mean, if they are really... Uh, say something hurting at the end of the day if you allow that grudge or hatred to overcome you then if you think murder jesus said that is equivalent to murder already right so it begins at home okay so do you need to forgive someone in your home do you need to process that anger and hatred so that you will be released from it once and for all because you will carry it to the next generation Okay, so that's the first. And the last among the, these uh, three commands that begins in the home is respect for the sanctity of marriage. You shall not commit adultery. Command number seven. Now, idolatry and infidelity has always been compared one is to one because that kind of loyalty to your spouse is similar to the loyalty God demands from his people and sex is decided to be sacred in a marriage relationship because when violated it destroys you and your family wholesale now there are only two reasons when infidelity happens in a marriage one is there's already immorality and sin that is growing in your life okay from a long long time and it just goes there because there's no transformation that happened. But another is when your marriage has been compromised, meaning your relationship has, not, has lost its priority. You have not been uh, 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 communicating well. You allowed certain misunderstandings to grow strong until the enemy attacks your marriage and you fall into sin. So that's the idea here you do not allow your marriage to be compromised at all costs you have to protect your relationship with your spouse as the most important relationship in your family is with your spouse because together you will build a godly home if you cannot agree with each other then your home will be in total disarray and chaos right and we also know that uh, there is a brain chemical we learned later 
uh, where intimacy happens, sexual intimacy happens, there's this um, connection that happens that when you uh, sleep with another person's spouse, then that uh, connection is disrupted. And there's something that happens in your mind and life that is very tragic. No? So you can research on that. But the idea is we are really created to have only one spouse and faithfully live it out through our life. First is, sabi niya, honor your parents, your father and mother. Next is, do not murder and do not commit adultery. But I would suggest that it is for us to build a godly home with Christ as foundation. Where parental authority is honored, forgiveness and mutual consideration is treasured, faithfulness between husband and wife is given high priority. And that's why the question there is, what are you doing to nurture and protect your marriage? Not only are we not to tolerate such situation in the home, we are to repent of it. If our family life is in disarray, we must prioritize to work on it. Because that is where it begins. After getting right with God, we need to establish a godly home, a safe place for next generation of children to grow as we model a genuine love for God, as we teach them about who God is in our lives, and then as we show them how to obey God, they become the kind of people that God desires. Now, it's not perfection that we are after here because flawed people like you and I, we need the grace of God to raise children who love and fear God. It's not a perfect experience that is no trouble. No, It's part of the experience to have trouble and failures. But again, we go back to God every single time to walk according to God's design. And from there, we are to bring it to the streets, from the home to the streets. Okay? So as a community of faith, we build this loving home, then that uh, goes out to build a loving community beyond our homes, where the people will feel safe, welcome, and loved, where the community will become something attractive, that will call others to really would uh, want to focus, right? So that's the idea here. God begins by asking the slaves not to cross the line. Next slide, please. But there is more to that command that we need to learn because when we cross the line and violate the rights of others, then it causes division, uh, disrupts relationships that is hard to undo. Okay, so before we go there, I'd like to share a little about the Moravians. Now, John Wesley was on board a ship bound for America. He's an Englishman, and he observed these Moravians. The Moravians were um, immigrants from the Czech Republic. They immigrated from the uh, formerly called Moravia. They escaped from the tyranny there and escaped to Germany and became a Christian community. And it was a, such a strong spiritual community that their lives were really so different from the rest of the world. And so John Wesley was en route to America and he saw a few Moravians and he was totally impressed. And look at his uh, account. 
in observing the Moravians in the midst of life's most threatening storms. At seven, I was with the Germans. He was talking about these Moravian Christians. I had long observed their great seriousness of their behavior, of their humility. They had given a continual proof by performing those servile officers for, offices for other passengers. They served humbly other passengers, which none of the Englishmen dared to even take, for which they desired and they would receive no pay. They did the measly task in the ship and asked for no money, saying it was good for their proud hearts to do humble acts of service because their loving Savior Jesus has done even more for them. And every day had some occasion where uh, they showed their meekness or humility, which no injury could move. Sometimes they were pushed, struck, thrown down. They just stood and went away, and no complaint was ever heard. There was an opportunity of trying whether they were just afraid to offend people from a spirit of fear or maybe of pride, anger, and revenge. But in the midst of the psalm where with their service began, the sea broke over. Okay, so there was a storm. Split the mainsail in pieces. Okay, imagine the picture, almost shipwrecked. Covered the ship with water, poured in between the decks, and John Wesley was watching them. As if the great deep had already swallowed us up, a terrible screaming began among the Englishmen, but the Germans calmly sang praises and asked one of them afterwards, were you not afraid? The answer was this, I thank God, no. I asked, how about your women and children, were they not afraid? And the reply mildly was no. Our women and children are not afraid to die. From them, I went to their crying, trembling neighbors, the English, and pointed out the difference in that hour of trial between him that truly fears God and him that does not fear him at all. At 12, the wind fell, and this was the most glorious day I have experienced because for the first time, Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, saw what real-life community looks like and how he wished he could be part of that German community who really translated Christ in their everyday life. And that's what we mean, from the home to the streets. So let's go. First, we learn to respect the rights of others. You shall not steal. Isn't it great if you would like to go to a place where you're not afraid that your things are stolen? I remember before uh, when we were walking in Avenida with foreign friends, no? we are all guarded because we know that pickpockets would attra be attracted to them and it's such an unsafe place. So as a people of God, when foreigners travel in, they have to feel safe, right? You shall not steal. Stealing is taking what does not belong to you. And when property is stolen, you are panicking, angry, upset, distraught. You want to complain, right? Because that's the effect when your rights are being 
violated. Sometimes poverty is used as an excuse and sometimes unconsciously we become everyday thieves when we take what is, uh, uh, belongs to others and use it for our own. Right? So they were being taught, respect the rights of others regardless of your lowly circumstances. Okay, so are we respecting rights of others? Next is respect for the reputation of others. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And when we hear this verse, we immediately jump into a courtroom scene which is unnecessary. What do I mean? Because we do not need a courtroom to bear false witness. Just gossiping or talking about a person behind their back every single day is the same thing. We do not need the big leagues, the small things, when we damage people's reputation, whether it's true or not. Right? Without the complete picture, we are spreading false rumor, fake news. And it is really very destructive. Especially now in social media age, Lots of fake news happening can destroy people's reputation. Okay, whether we're intentionally doing it or not, we will hurt people. And it's unbecoming of a people of God. They will not feel safe with us. Okay, so aside from respecting the reputation of others, we also have to learn how to respect personal boundaries of others. Yeah, are we respecting the reputation of others in our school, in our work, in our family? Do we say things about them behind their backs? Whether we like them or not, that is unbecoming of one who follows Christ. Last is respect for personal boundaries. Let's read the passage there. In verse 70, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, his male servant, his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's that does not, do not covet. Okay, so this is very important to the people then because they live in an agrarian economy. And primarily, what's most important to them is their home, their household, and their animals, their husbandry. 3H, no? Home, has household. But today, it's different, right? We are in a different time. Sometimes we feel too close with a person. We do not know how to respect personal boundaries anymore we forgot there's there's such thing as personal space and we have to give them a safe space when we put our nose in others lives and meddle in their homes to the point that we start to want their what they have for ourselves then that is troublesome respect the personal space of other people next slide please so the question is how are we in terms of respecting the personal space of others? So in a nutshell, right, aside from building a godly home, next is we create a godly community where mutual respect and personal space is appreciated so that people will be attracted to the way we live and later on they will be attracted to the God we represent and that's the idea here of the commandments it's not just blindly following a set of do's and don'ts 
but rather the essence is how to be a kingdom of priests. So there are a few things I would like to highlight here again. A, B, C, D. First, acknowledge God's rule or kingship in our lives. He is the ultimate God and that's the first four commandments, uh, the four A's that I shared last week. And then today, we start to learn about B, building a God-honoring home from the house. Then we bring it to the streets, create a community of mutual respect where people feel safe and they're attracted to come. But let me add the disciple others to follow Jesus. Okay, what do I mean here? Because from the home to the streets, we are called to the world. And we are reminded of Matthew 28, the Great Commission passage. Make disciples of all nations. Go, win seekers, baptize them, build believers, right? Teach them to obey, equip workers, multiply disciples who makes disciples or disciple makers. And that's our calling as we live out if the, our love for God and others, starting with the home and to our community, then we are witnessing to the rest of the world who this God is so that people may come to worship God. right? Because that's the ultimate end, that people will know God and worship Him. And if that is happening, we do not need discipleship any longer. But because that is not the reality today, that's why we make disciples who makes disciples. Allow me to close with this story. A modern-day analogy we can use our Lego bricks. And it's a good illustration of how we are to be as a spiritual home, the church. The Lego bricks provide the essence of the principle of interdependence. Building begins by connecting one brick with another. Relationships are the building blocks of any organization. Lego bricks teach us that each individual is interdependent on the next connection for success. Building with Lego bricks takes a bottom-up approach. And that is also the same with relationships. When you make a connection, it lays a foundation upon which you can build another and another. And synergy happens when the efforts of these individual parts create something. Right? The efforts of two or more entities result in the greater sum than individual efforts achieved. Unity is accomplished when one sets aside self and places the greater good ahead of our personal agenda. Lego bricks are their best when you step back and see the entire structure there rather than each individual piece. Because the best connection don't happen by accident. You know, if you have a box of unfixed Lego, pour it on the table, they will not become a ship or a building. They're just bricks. Okay, but after you pour them out, you build a castle. You form them into something that you want them to be. A single Lego brick holds less value because it cannot fulfill its purpose, but together under the hands of the master builder, they can create amazing structures. If you go to Legoland, wow, such huge structures made from small Lego bricks. A wonder to behold. Now, is there hope for the church? 
Yes, if we acknowledge Christ as the master of our church. Yes, if we learn to build homes that reflect Christ. Yes, if we learn to build a community here inside the church and outside where people will be safe to trust Christ and not be you know, ex uh, uh, pushed away. Yes, we are called to be the witness of who Jesus is to bring the good news to the ends of the world. That's why the church is the center for making disciples followers of Christ so that ultimately people will know Jesus and worship the one true God. The God who is not like the gods of the nations made of wood or stone who cannot see or hear or smell or speak, but a God who created the universe who is a redeemer and deliverer. Isn't it exciting to be part of a family that loves God and makes disciples? Yes, together let us build a spiritual home that reflects Jesus to the ends of the earth. What part are you playing today? Are you part of a small group? Are you learning how to disciple others? Are you bringing people to know Christ? Are you really reflecting Jesus to your family, in your workplace, wherever you are? Then let's be reminded that we are not alone in this. We are the kingdom of priests called by God out of darkness into this holy light to be a witness to the world of how great our God is. Let's pray. Loving God, thank you for reminding us again that it is not about us, but it's all about you and your plan and your purpose. So Father, help us to surrender our lives, to be transformed and renewed, so that Lord, we will really learn what it means to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves, to be a witness to the ends of the earth of this great and wonderful God who gave his son Jesus for our sakes. May you strengthen our desire to mature so that we will be one in faith, one in hope, one in love, declaring to our family, in our workplace, everywhere we go, the true essence of what it means to know Christ, to love Christ, and to serve Christ. May UECP be a disciple-making church as we all work together piece by piece, as one body under Christ. This is our hope and prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, UECP.